Welcome to the Gonzo Chronicles. I'm your host, Cyrus Alderwood, the official spokesman for Generation X. Stick around. It's going to get weird, as always. It's been a hot minute since I've been back on the Gonzo Chronicles. So, uh, you know, I guess a lot's happened in the interim since uh, I did a show probably about three weeks ago. But, hey, welcome to October 1st. It's Halloween month, everybody. I freaking love this month. Mostly because every cool horror show that's ever been made is shown nonstop on Sci-Fi Channel, AMC, whatever else, right? So if you have the uh, Tubi app on your smart tv or netflix enjoy it it's a month of horror i love it actually um i'm gonna talk a little bit about the movie the omen today because this month i mean i the last show i did i talked about a horror film the town the dreaded sundown and i wanted to talk about some of the true stuff the true stories behind some of the most classic horror films that have been made and there are some crazy stories now, there's some wild stories about the movie The Omen. The original one, not the remake, but The Omen that came out uh, in 1976 starring Gregory Peck. And I'm going to get into that. <clears throat> I'm going to get into that. That's just a little tease because this is some of the wildest stuff that ever happened on movie sets. Ever. Right? You talk about a cursed film. Uh, this one might have been uh, the real deal. But I want to talk about a couple things that's, uh, that's happened here recently. Um, you guys know I'm a big baseball fan, but I sort of tuned out. I tuned out before June when my beloved Cincinnati Reds lost like 25 of the first 30 games or something stupid. They lost 22 in a row to open the season. It was bad. Our season was over with before it got started. But that beside the point, I have still watched some baseball this year. Not a lot. Not like I normally do. Um, it'd be a lot better if my team was in the hunt. But if your team is in the hunt for postseason Congratulations. Enjoy it. I always get sad when baseball season's over just because I love the season. And uh, I look forward to spring. So, like, spring training. So, I can start watching all my favorite baseball films and all that. So, I get, you know, get a little misty-eyed. I'm, I'm one of these purists about baseball. <clears throat> and I'm nostalgic. And I find the game incredibly romantic. How can you not be romantic about freaking baseball? Especially when you look at the long history. And it's, it's an America's game. I mean... More people show up at baseball games than football games. Now, I know the stadiums sell out football games every month or every every week when they're there, but, yeah, they have eight home games. And how many do we have in baseball? Like 62? Anyway, or 61 home games? Yeah, a lot more people show up at baseball games than football. However, I'll not go there. 
because <laughs> I do love all sports. I, well, most of them anyway. The New York Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge was sitting on 60 home runs for quite a while when uh, pitchers were just like walking. And it was frustrating because Aaron Judge was chasing history. Now, a lot of people, when you think about the home run record, I think, what is it, 72 that Barry Bonds hit when he broke Roger Maris's record? Actually, he broke uh, Mark McGuire's record, who broke Mark, who broke Maris's record. Okay. Yeah, I know that. So there are three people sitting atop the home run list. It was Bonds, a single season home run list. Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and then Roger Maris, and then Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth had that record last for a long time until Roger Maris came along and broke Babe Ruth's record of 60 home runs in a single season by hitting 61. Now, at the time, there was a long, there were more baseball games in a season than when Ruth played. So some people wanted to put an asterisk by um, Roger Maris's, but you know what, it's accepted as the single-season record until Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire had that magical year when they were bringing baseball back. Um, the home run chase, it, it was just it was an amazing, fun time. And then uh, not long after that, Barry Bonds came along and broke both of their records, okay? So Sosa and McGuire both broke Roger Maris's record, single-season. I think, I think they both did. But uh, McGuire held the record. Now, we find out years later that that's obviously the steroid era. And me being a purist in baseball, I would put an asterisk by the names of Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. In fact, I don't consider them the single-season home run hitter kings. I don't. That, to me, is still Roger Maris, Babe Ruth. Because... You know, hey, especially Babe Ruth, think about this. You're smoking 12 cigars a day, getting liquored up, and hang, hanging out with whores all night, and you still show up at the ballpark and hit 60 dingers in a single season? Yeah, you're the man. So, um, years and years later, here comes Aaron Judge from New York Yankees, and he's tied with Babe Ruth. And in the stands, every night, Roger, one of the members of the Roger Maris family, his, his children, some of his children have been there, one or all, or a mixture of. And Aaron Judge's mom, and I think his dad's been there some too, <clears throat> waiting on him to tie Roger Maris. Finally, he did. Roger Maris has company. Actually, he broke Babe Ruth's 60, single, 60 home run record with one game to spare in the same time frame that Babe Ruth did it himself. Incredible feat. And, of course, this is not the steroid era. These people are tested and tested and tested. And and Aaron Judge comes across as a very respectable ball player who respects the game and his organization, and I don't think he would do that to baseball. Now, out of the steroid era, the one guy I wanted to see hit those home runs was Ken Griffey Jr. Because you knew that guy was playing straight. He got injured too much, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons people take steroids is to heal from injury quickly and so forth, stay on the field, and it enhances their play, enhances their strength. Now, there's an argument out there that, dang, you know, this this a-hole come on bar, Barstool Sports of this past week and pissed all over the 61 number. And Barstool Sports, I follow them for some of the funny things, but, um, man, they can really have some jerk-offs on there that uh, 
They really kind of piss on tradition. So this guy kind of they annoyed me a little bit, the arrogant prick. But said it didn't matter. 61 doesn't matter because all these other guys had done so much better. Talking about Bonds, McGuire, Sosa, especially Bonds. He was a big Bonds guy, Bonds uh, fan. And, you know, if you grew up in that era, and I, I went to a lot of games during that era, you know, the thing you have to remember is steroids give people power. Also gives them the ability to stay on the field, fight through injury and things like that. So, yeah, they were on the field a lot longer, had more likelihood of staying on the field breaking records. But their strength. Now, batting is a lot of hand-eye coordination. I've heard that argument a million times. There's a lot of validity to that. But let's if I'm not going to get into going back and going over games and games. You can do this research yourself online if you're so inclined, if you're a baseball fan. Go look up the last home runs, like toward the end of the year, that Barry Bonds hit when he broke that record. And uh, see how close a lot of those came to just barely going over the fence. So was that hand-eye coordination? I mean, Barry Bonds was a great player. He was a phenomenal player. He did not need steroids. But he got jacked up, and it was obvious. And um, he hit... All those home runs, and quite a significant number of them, barely made it over the fence in the shortest parts from the home plate to outfield in those parks. So he took the shortest route and barely made it over the fence. Quite a number of times. It's a, it's a very significant number. So go back and look at that and, and ask yourself, would steroids give you just, you have great hand-eye coordination, but it would give you just enough strength to barely get those balls over the fence? To pass those numbers. Yeah. I think somebody had done that once. I'd, I'd watched on television some uh, baseball purists and said, okay, if you pull all these that barely made it over during the steroid era, you could knock off 100 some home runs of Barry Bonds in his career. You know, during that, during that particular window of years. Okay. Not his whole career. We're talking about a small window. Yeah. It made a difference. So that, that had convinced me, like, yeah, steroids made a difference in that era. So Aaron Judge, I hope before, I hope he hits 62 and breaks Roger Maris's in a faster time than it took Roger Maris to hit his 62nd. I think that would be amazing, or to hit, you know, his 61st. So um, I hope Judge passes it. And now I'm not a Yankees fan, but it's something about karma that these people who cheated baseball in that era and hold these records that were so central and, and, and meaningful to the game, to fans, you know, you know, they cheated the game. And I think there's something about karma that it comes back around that a guy from the Yankees breaks those records and put an asterisk by those other guys' names because when Judge does this, and I think he will, in my mind, he will be the all-time single-season home run hitting king and then Roger Maris, and then Babe Ruth. You know, or maybe Babe Ruth and Roger Maris. I don't know. I don't want to get into the semantics of that because I know that, that was an argument from you know, decades ago. But there's a reason those numbers stood for decades until people started juicing, and then you see two or three guys just taking off. It's like, no, no. That ain't right. So anyway, that's, that's my take on that. So let's get back to another thing here. Like It's Halloween month. And uh, I've been updating, I just updated my Substack um, yesterday, actually, or maybe the day before. So, um, question is, 
Are you staying around the house this year and handing out candy? Are you dressing up? Are you going to a party? So I'm all 80s, right? You know, I'm a big fan of the 80s. I miss the 80s, the music and the culture. And the... So anyway, I was just a tiny kid then, but I thought it was really cool. So I'm thinking, you know, I wrote this piece called Go Nerd for Halloween. And I wrote about the freakiest nerd of the 80s. And I'm going to read just a little piece of this. <clears throat> and I'm going to leave a question to you for those of you that are Gen X out there. So let's take a moment to review the whole nerd issue here. Aside from the alpha betas, the rest of us generally like nerds. Now, if you don't know who the alpha betas are, obviously you might be a little too young. I'm talking about the movie Revenge of the Nerds. They make cool gadgets and games. They keep the rest of us occupied. They're pretty funny in the movies and on TV. And it's not very likely that a nerd's going to steal your girlfriend. For the most part, nerds are harmless except for inventing things like, you know, biological weapons and laboratory viruses and weapons of mass destruction that could lead to global thermonuclear war. Some of you get that inference, maybe. Everything considered, they're okay people, too. So let's assume for argument's sake that on Halloween you decide you want to dress up as an 80s nerd. So how do you go about it? Well, that may not be as complicated as you think. There's three basic steps to dressing as an 80s nerd. So step one, and ladies and gents, take notes. Go for a nerdy hairstyle. So dudes, here's what you do. You grease the hell out of your hair. You comb it to one side in the front. Make sure you have a sh make sure you have short hair. Geeks have short hair. Remember that. So, ladies, here's what you do: you wear your hair long and straight. Then go for the bun or braid it really tight in a ponytail on the back of your head. All right. Step two: you have to dress appropriately in nerd attire. So, dudes, it's all about the button-down collar, you know. Make sure you have double-breasted pockets on that shirt. Then put on narrow, long slacks pulled up high on the waist. And fold them up a few times at the bottom to show off those really sexy white socks. And then probably go for suspenders or maybe a vest. Or both. I mean, right? It was a decade of excess. All right, ladies. Here's what you have to do. Long sleeve dress or top is a must. And the dress or skirt has to be full length. You show no leg at all. We're talking all the way down to the ankles. Possibly a... You know, a smock. I don't know. Then a cardigan sweater that's either one size too big or one size too small. And then you have to accessorize like a nerd. That's the third step. For starters, make sure you're carrying a book of some kind. Maybe a math book that even a you know a professor couldn't understand. <coughs> Guys, you got to have those black, thick-rimmed horn glasses. It's a good choice. Make sure you keep a pencil behind your ear. Um... You're going to look a lot more like a nerd if you have a bow tie around your neck. Hey, a clip-on's going to do. Let's not get fancy. It's Halloween. Slot a few pins or a calculator in your shirt pocket. You're all set, guys. Ladies, eyeglasses for you, too. Go for the round, thick-rimmed ones with a chain around the neck. You know, a watch is okay, but any other jewelry is probably out of the question. No earrings. No necklaces. All right. Yeah, so here was my question to a lot of people in this substack. Who was the most freaky nerd of the 80s? Dr. Ruth. That was my answer. I thought long and hard about this. So am I alone on this Dr. Ruth thing? 
All my Substack, I actually have a list of top 10 nerds of the 80s. You can kind of go through that. Um, so make sure you go to cyrusalderwood.substack.com. But here's the thing. Um, when I was a kid, I would literally blush as I listened to this old woman go on about orgasms and vaginas. I mean, the audience around her on the stage, they giggle a little bit, probably because she came off a bit nerdy and she started talking about whatever embarrassing STD issue of the week was, or, you know, how to properly use a vibrator. Maybe it was her accent. I don't know. For whatever reason, I couldn't take this little lady seriously. I'm sure I wasn't the only teenager watching her show once in a while with the volume real low so my parents wouldn't hear in the next room you know, at night. Because, um, you know, you're looking for any information about sex that you couldn't find on a late night Cinemax, right? Um, for all I know, this little lady could have been asexual, but she certainly came across nerdy. So that's who I think the freakiest nerd of the 80s was. So let's toss it back to you. Who do you think was? And what are you dressing up for as Halloween? Love to hear about it. So um, now that uh, now that we're done with that, let's get on with the topic du jour. And then I'm going to give you a watch list, an October watch list. It's going to be creepy. It's a creepy month. Let's talk about this movie, The Omen. <clears throat> this is one of my must-watch movies. If you've never seen The Omen, the original. Now, the remake was actually not bad. Um, but The Omen, the original, uh, came out in 1976. It is a horror movie classic in the, you know, in any way, shape, or form you look at it. It's one of those rare films that if you watch today, with the scoring of the music, the acting, the camera work, I mean, the angles, everything, it'll still give you the creeps. It's like trying to watch The Exorcist. As a matter of fact, um... You know, the the fans of this film weren't the only ones that were kind of subjected to the evils of the Omen. Its cast and crew was really exposed to a lot more than that. And um, essentially what this movie's about is, I'm going to give you a little snippet. I'm, probably most of you have seen this movie. But the Omen follows this guy. Um, his name is Robert. It's played by Gregory Peck. He's this diplomat, American diplomat, living in uh, in Rome. And his wife, in the very beginning, she's pregnant giving birth, but she gives birth to a stillborn baby. She doesn't know it. Her baby dies during birth. However, Gregory Peck, Robert, her husband, is told, listen, you lost the baby. We have another lady who was here who had a baby at the very same time, but she died during childbirth, and the baby is alive, and it needs a home. And this is a priest that's doing this. It was a Catholic hospital. So this priest arranged for this diplomat to take this baby that wasn't theirs. And he signed on to it saying, yeah, okay, I'll say it's mine. Because this is a tragic thing and I don't want to break my wife's heart. So they take this little boy home. And as, you know, the course of the movie, you find out this little boy very well might be the Antichrist from the book of Revelation. So anyway, let's give you a little backdrop onto that. Um, so during the movie, that Robert grows suspicious that his new son, might be the Antichrist. Um, and so anybody who finds out about this, like death and misfortune falls upon all of them. Now, the guy who was, came up with the idea of this movie was a guy by the name of Robert Munger. Now, one of these movies that came out, one of the biggest movies of all time, biggest horror films of all time, The Exorcist, came out in 1973. So following the success of films like that, 
this guy, Robert Munger, who was a born-again Christian, he was, a, he was an executive uh, in the film industry, who's a born-again Christian, pitched the idea for The Omen to be this next big blockbuster horror film following The Exorcist. So, now, shortly after, you know, they all bought onto it and said, yeah, let's do this. So, shortly after, uh, this guy, Munger, he really got everybody together and he just he gave them a quick warning. He said, I haven't had a change of heart. We're going to make this movie. Um, and I knew, you know, that we're making a movie involving the son of the devil. This is probably going to be cursed. Okay, so, you know, evil events are probably going to surround something like this. Because he had heard a lot of things that happened around the movie The Exorcist. So it made sense to be on guard, so to speak. But the curses that hit this film, like, just almost like had no boundaries. This is crazy. All right, soon after, like, well, uh, um, let's say, well, I guess, how would I say this? So Gregory Peck, right? So he takes the the role of the protagonist. And as soon as he's, he's supposed to get on this flight uh, to Europe, um, but for whatever reason, Gregory, Gregory Peck, he said, got the, I don't know, just got some bad feeling. And he canceled the flight he had planned for, I don't know what reason. He didn't give it. I don't know if he gave a reason, but they say reasons unknown. Um, some reports said that the crew hired the plane to use uh, for the cast, but maybe didn't end up needing it after all. Either way, <coughs> Peck was thankful he never got on that flight. The plane crashed the same day, killing every passenger on Crazy, huh? You want to hear something a little crazier than that? When it hit the ground, the plane landed on a vehicle that had members of the pilot's family inside. So now they're dead. <laughs> um, but anyway, incidents in the air didn't stop there. When Peck did get on a plane and was heading over to England to shoot the scenes for the Omen, his airplane was struck by lightning in midair. Okay, no one was hurt. There was no, no damage. But it was it was, shook everybody up, uh, regardless. But he wasn't the only person in the production who had had like a curse traveling with him. The guy who wrote the film, David Seltzer, he took a separate flight to England to join the cast um, uh, two days after Gregory Peck left. Oddly enough, Seltzer's plane was also struck by lightning. Um, now that's a little too coincidental, uh, for me. I, that's, yeah, that right there, I've been like, I don't know if I'd be making that movie. However, they, they went on. Um, so some other unpredictable things followed the crew offset. Um, and I, by that, I mean, bringing like explosives, like literally things exploding. Okay. This guy, um, the executive producer of the film, his name is Mace Newfeld. Uh, he said that he, had an, um, something happened to him that he said was, in his quotes, more than coincidental. Uh, when uh, he and uh, Gregory Peck and others on the set, they had planned to go out to a restaurant one evening, right? But before the group was to appear at the restaurant, for whatever reason, before they got there, this building blew up in a weird explosion. Yeah, crazy, huh? Now... The second explosion that happened around this set, it was about this movie, 
Same guy, Newfeld. He felt this curse again. Him and his wife, they checked out early from their hotel in London. <clears throat> Thank God, right? Short time after they checked out of the hotel, that hotel was leveled by an explosion. Now, it wasn't some weird coincidence, um, like something happened in the pipes or gas or whatever. Uh, actually, it turned out that the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, had been responsible for several explosions around London at that time. Um, some people contributed to the curse by the devil himself. So whether it was the IRA doing this uh, or you know, forces of evil, that's an awful lot of stuff to happen around a set. Hey, but let's go on, right? <laughs> the special effects designer that was responsible for designing, um, if you remember, there was a scene where there was a decapitation scene. Okay. Um, so the guy who was the special effects guy that designed that, he actually had something crazy happen to him. This is creepy and no less tragic. After he moved on from that film to begin his next project, he was in a head-on car crash that decapitated his wife. I mean, how ironic is it you work on, like, rarely do you work on a decapitation in a film, right? Especially back then. And then here, real life happens, the very next project you're on, as you move on. Um, so he drew a comparison to the, you know, obviously the film in hindsight. And he actually made a claim, I don't know if this is true, but this guy made a claim that there was a road sign on the side of the road next to the crash that pointed to a tra uh, point that pointed travelers to a town called Omen or Amen O M M E N that was 66.6 kilometers away I don't know if that's true but that's what that guy said so even the animal trainers like there was a couple of scenes dealing with animals if you remember from this there was the baboons uh, that attacked the car when uh, Damien was in the car with his mother going through just like some, I don't know, like drive through zoo or whatever. And there was another scene with uh, uh, Rottweilers and, and dogs at the, at a graveyard scene when they discover when they, that the, uh, the child, the mother of Damien was actually a jackal, right? So even the animal trainers couldn't get around this stuff. And that weird baboon attack, um, what they did, how they filmed this was kind of, kind of weird, but they put a baboon actually in the car, a lot, a real baboon in the back of the car with Lee Remick. That's the actress that played Damien's mom. And the purpose of that was to, to piss off the other ones outside, uh, to make them attack the vehicle. Well, instead of like reaping havoc on the baboons, here's this curse Targeted the trainer. The curse of this movie. The animal trainer hired to assist in the scene was killed the very next day. Wild, right? Uh, the producer, a um, guy by the name of Harvey Bernhard, um, detailed the, uh, the death. He said the trainer was killed by a tiger. It grabbed him by the head and killed him instantly. So, um, that, that's just wild. So the trainer on the set of the omen killed the animal trainer. So anyway, before filming finished wrapped up, they had this other animal incident. And this one, um, 
you know, I mean, nobody got killed. But Gregory Peck's stuntman, he was attacked by these trained Rottweilers in that iconic cemetery scene. These dogs, for whatever reason, became uncontrollable and went into a frenzy. They ignored the commands of the trainer. They, people, you know, people back then, it's like they have no idea why. These dogs are perfectly trained. They never got out of hand like that. But for whatever reason, on that set, that day, those dogs are completely out of hand. And they caused major injuries to the stuntmen uh, involved in that. I mean, it's just wild, isn't it? So I first became aware of all this weird stuff because there was a documentary series. When we were all sort of locked down during the pandemic, there was uh, the show came out called Cursed Films. And I don't know, you can probably find it somewhere today still. Um, and the purpose of that, see, it was a series of films to remind us of like strange stuff, not so coincidental stuff that happens on the set of horror films. Well, anyway, in one of those episodes, The Omen, you know, they talk about the string of these tragic events um, and claimed, you know, some raised concerns by some of the experts that discussed this, that maybe this film was cursed by the devil himself. Who knows? I mean, they're, I guess they, all these people in the documentary, they speak about the various accidents and, you know, a lot of debate about whether circumstances were linked to curse or coincidence. Now, some people don't believe in curses. Hey, more power to you. I tend to lean that way too, but man, I don't also believe in too many coincidences either. Um, for a film that's tackling the devil's son from the moment of his birth, you know, trying to show the rise of an antichrist, uh, it's no surprise that there's going to be all kinds of weird rumors and of, of stuff like this around the set. Um, and, you know, it makes matters worse. I mean, there were a lot of people... Uh, you could that were making threats to not just Gregory Peck, but the it's other people involved in the production of the movie. Uh, the Omen's director, uh, Richard Donner, um, another one of the directors, he got a lot of uh, he said what he called crackpot threats and, and crazy letters um, uh, that uh, said they were going to bring violence against anyone involved in this movie. And it was, um, believe it or not, I mean, you'd think it's like, hey, is this some like you know, religious cult. Now, it's actually a lot of people in the occult were upset that they were bringing to light what the Antichrist was. It was just weird, you know? Um, so maybe making a movie like this, just a lot of self-fulfilled prophecy of misfortune. Um, is it more coincidence? I mean, what's the likelihood of two planes, you know, involved being struck by lightning? I don't know. Either way, you know, a lot of events plagued this movie before and after. It impacted a lot of people, and uh, it is creepy. <laughs> so what do you think? Is the omen cursed, um, you know, from the, from the uh, outset or not? I don't know, but it is the month of Halloween. On the next episode, I'm going to be talking about the crazy real story behind that movie Scream from the 90s. Yes, there's a real story behind that. So we'll get into that. Um, actually, there's a lot of real stories behind a lot of classic horror films. So it's been October talking about some of these. However, I have an October watch list. So I jotted, I jotted 10 films down that I want to bring into my watch list this month. Now, normally, anytime I see something, this is just 10. Anytime I see that movie Salem's Lot on, I'm going to stop and watch. 
Like everybody knows, it's one of my favorite all-time horror films. So there. So I tried to change it up a little bit this year. I do have The Omen on this list because I haven't seen it in years. But here's my October watch list. And as I'm going through this, I'd love to know what's on your October watch list. The Stand. Not the remake, but the original. The Fog. Not the remake, but the original. Um, actually, the one from 1980 or 81 um, with Jamie Lee Curtis in it. G great film. I love that version better than the uh, remake. But actually, the remake wasn't that bad. So if you're watching AMC or sci-fi, you're probably more likely to see the remake. Um, if you haven't seen it, give it a shot. See what you think. Uh, Halloween, the original. Not that Rob Zombie trash. The Omen, the original. Actually, the remake, like I said, wasn't that bad. You're more likely to see the remake on TV if you're just watching whatever's coming on cable um, than you are the original. But if you haven't seen the original, go watch that film. If you're a horror fan, you, it's a must. Scream is another one. I haven't seen Scream in quite a long time. So I'm going to watch that again this year. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, 1984. Um, the uh, I actually watched the remake of it today as much as I could. Like here and there, I was busy doing stuff around the house. It sort of grew on me a little bit, but not really. Um, from 1988, this one I haven't seen in years, but this cut, it crossed my path recently, and I'm like, yeah, this has to be on my October watch list. The Serpent and the Rainbow. That's a hard one to find. If you can find it, if you see it anywhere, watch it. You're, you won't be disappointed. Angel Heart is another one. Had Lisa Bonet and uh, Mickey Rourke. That was made also in the 80s. Uh, great film. I, I mean, like, yeah, you didn't see it. Like, the ending, I, I loved how they brought everything, tied it all together at the end. It was an amazing film. Good film. The Conjuring. I know that's kind of probably on TV a lot, but I haven't watched it quite a long time. So that's on my, my list to watch this month. And if you want to look for something a little bit newer, The Lazarus Effect. That's on Netflix, available on Netflix. Um, but you can probably watch it in other places, too. I think it's a fairly newer film. Um, kind of sci-fi-ish, but it's horror. Um, you haven't seen it. Uh, give it a watch. It's, I, I, I regret like I watched it kind of like, like eh, I'll give it a chance. And it was one of those when I was done, I was really surprised how good it was. Um, it really certainly had that uh, suspenseful creep to it. So if you haven't seen it, watch it. That's my October watch list. What's on yours? Drop me an email, cyrus.alderwood at gmail.com. Let me know what's on your watch list for October. Um, make sure you follow my Substack and uh, subscribe. It's free. Um, if you want some, I, I do kind of lock some things for paid readers. Um, so, yeah, um, that's dirt cheap. It's cheaper than your cup of coffee. Uh, go ahead and subscribe. Um, you can do the free version of the paid version. It's like five bucks a month. Because I'm not doing a Patreon for the podcast, because I swear these are going to be free. Um, but you could uh, help a brother out. Pick up one of my books on Amazon, or uh, go subscribe to the Substack. I'm writing often on there. It's kind of like a running journal. Kind of get inside my head a little bit. So um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Gonzo Chronicles. I'll be back. I'll be back actually pretty soon. 
I've been uh, languishing on the, doing these these podcasts. But I guess some of us do need a break once in a while when when your head and, uh, head's just not in the game. All right, everybody. Thanks again. I'll see you online. I'll see you on down the road. Cheers.